Our Bible reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 3. It's Ephesians chapter 3. If you have a church Bible, that's on page 1174. It's in your meeting guide and it'll be on the screen behind me. So we're reading from Ephesians chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 14. And this is entitled in my Bible, A Prayer for the Ephesians. And it's Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. Good morning, everybody. Great morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good to be together again this morning, isn't it? And uh, have that passage open that was read a little while ago at the end of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be looking at that great prayer together in our time this morning. It's nearly 20 years ago, 19 years ago, almost to the day, August the 14th, 2003, um, 80% of the northeast uh, region of the United States and sort of southern Canada, the bit that sort of joins it, in six seconds was plunged into total darkness. 80%, just like that. Nobody knew why, it just, the power went off. New York was plunged into darkness. You imagine all those signs, some of you have been there, but some of those scenes you see on telly, you know, Times Square and all, all those amazing billboards, darkness, complete darkness. Uh, Newark, JFK, LaGuardia airports had to close down. No power, couldn't cope. The uh, subway, the underground system, thousands of people were, were trapped in those. Um, the great stations, Penn Station, Grand Central Station had to shut. Nobody could get about. Just in the space of six seconds, the power went out. Hundreds of people trapped in the lifts in skyscrapers only a couple of years after 9-11. Imagine how terrifying that would have been. Stuck 30, 40, 50 floors up. No traffic lights across the city. Gridlock. Cars couldn't get anywhere. Commuters who'd got in on the trains couldn't get home. They slept on park benches. They slept on the steps of public buildings, just wherever they could find somewhere to get their head down. And it wasn't just a thing that lasted a few minutes. It was 48 hours, two days, this thing went on for. But... One light kept shining, and it was this one, Statue of Liberty, that great landmark in the river as you approach New York City. Nobody could figure out what was going on. The rest of the city plunged into total darkness. The Statue of Liberty kept shining like a beacon in the darkness. How come? Well, as they looked into it, and as they sort of guys, engineers looked into it, they realized that uh, the Statue of Liberty apparently isn't plugged into New York. It's plugged into New Jersey across the way. New Jersey was fine, so the power source that it was drawing from was still absolutely fine. The power source locally had gone down, but it was drawing its power from somewhere else, and so the lights were able to stay on. Let me ask you this morning, where do you draw your power from? Where do you draw your strength from in your life, particularly when the chips are down, 
Where do you draw power from in the blackouts of life? When trying to put one foot in front of the other just seems impossible. We need, don't we, a, we talk about renewable energy, a sustainable, powerful, uh, faithful, unfailing power source for our lives to tap into, don't we? Because we get tired. Um, came across this this week, um, but this sums you up. I'm not an early bird or a night owl. I'm some form of permanently exhausted pigeon. Looking at some of you yawning already, um, that's about right. We need a renewable, sustainable power source, don't we? And that's what our August Sunday mornings, uh, this uh, summer holiday period, we're going to be looking at. We're going to be diving into four of the great prayers of the New Testament that Paul the Apostle prays that are recorded for us. There's a great little series that I'm really excited by that is going to see prayer modelled, help us if we're thinking, how should I pray? What do I pray for? We're going to see the Apostles' priorities and therefore the Lord Jesus' priorities for us as we come together to pray, either individually or, or connect together as churches in our small groups in our church to pray together. And as we learn together, as we dive into these prayers together, my hope, my prayer this week has been that those prayer lives that we have would be deepened and enriched uh, and become a greater blessing and a greater source of power for those of us who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The connection that we have with Almighty God, as Joe was telling us in prayer earlier on, would be strengthened and enriched. And that, as a result, we would see to a greater and greater effect the power of God at work in our lives, in our town, in our community, in our world. Because let's face it, I've not yet met a Christian who's satisfied with their prayer life. You're welcome to come and contradict me later if you want. But I've not yet met anybody when you talk to them and say, how's it going? How are, you, how are things going for you? How are you finding prayer? How are you finding your quiet time? I've never met anybody who's satisfied. I'm certainly not. I long for a greater sense of intimacy, a greater sense of God's presence in those moments when I, I try to put time aside to pray, to, to connect with him. And there's all manner of reasons for that. A few years ago, um, those of you who've been around at Grace for a few years will know that we looked at this book together, Paul Miller's uh, great book, A Praying Life. And uh, we, we sort of preached some stuff around it and we talked about it in home groups. We, we encourage one another from it. He's got some great reasons or some really helpful observations as to why our prayer life can often seem humdrum, less powerful than perhaps we'd like. He said this, uh, because we can do life with God, without God, praying seems nice but unnecessary. Money can do what prayer does and it's quicker and less time consuming. That's what he said. If we want to get stuff done... Money can usually do it quicker than prayer. It's right, isn't it? Our trust in ourselves and in our talents makes us structurally independent of God. Now, there's the thing. As a result, he says, exhortations to pray. It doesn't matter how many preachers stand on the platform saying, you've got to pray more, you've got to pray more. Exhortations just don't stick. Because although we might name Christ as Lord and we believe in an almighty God, structurally we live independent lives from him. And so we don't see the need to pray. He says another thing, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they're focusing on praying and not on God. They're focusing on the act rather than the object. It's true, isn't it? Our prayers can very easily just, I've got a few minutes, they default into, Lord, I need this today and that today, and would you do this today, and would you help that person today, and I need to get this done and that done, and they become a shopping list of prayers. I'm getting a few nods. I'm not alone. Nothing wrong with that, of course. We're told to bring our prayers and our requests to Almighty God. But if that's all they ever are, we're missing what's at the heart of a praying life, which is a relationship. It's a relationship with a living, almighty, powerful God, 
the one we've sung praise to, the one we've prayed to, the one we've heard speak as we've heard his word read. We're missing the relationship between God our Father and us as his children. And so this is the big one that Paul Miller helped us with. He said, learned desperation is at the heart of a praying life. Helplessness. That recognition, that realisation that we are in need, we are greatly needy people. But we have a great God whose love, whose power, whose resources, whose riches are way beyond anything we can fathom or imagine. And who is willing, willing to give even more than we could ask. Desperation, helplessness is at the heart of a praying life. And he said this, I'm starting to see there's a difference between saying prayers and honest praying. Both can sound the same on the outside, he says. Saying prayers, though, are too often motivated by a sense of obligation and guilt. Oh, I ought to. I've not prayed yet today. Whereas he said, honest praying is motivated by a conviction that I'm completely helpless to do life without God. Or in the case of praying for you, praying for others, I'm completely helpless to help you or be of any help or service to you without connecting to the power source, to Almighty God. That's where our prayer begins, isn't it? In Ephesians 3, verse 14, with Paul on his knees. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. All that's gone on before, and that's what he's referring to, and for this reason, it sort of tracks back to the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason, then he gets interrupted. Uh, So it's coming what's gone in chapters 1 and 2. This almighty God has reconciled all things to himself and all things together under Christ as its head. For this reason, I kneel. I'm helpless. It's the attitude of reverence, that posture, isn't it, as we begin, that signifies that without God we are helpless. And it displays a willingness to submit and obey him. Simple question to begin with. Do you ever use that posture when you're praying? Just physically, do you get down on your knees? Without you, Lord, I'm nothing. Without you, I'm helpless. Then he goes on to the main body of our prayer, where there's just two things that we're going we're gonna to notice uh, as we, we go through this together. And the first one is this. What is Paul praying for? He's praying for the power to change. The first section, verses 16, first part of verse 17, he says this, As I kneel before the Father, from him every family in heaven and earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches, inexhaustible riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's praying for the power to change. Now, boys and girls, I know you've had bite size already, but I need your help for a minute here, okay? So, if I was to ask you, who is your favourite um, superhero? Who's your favourite superhero? Go on, tell me, who's your favourite superhero? Spider-Man. Great superhero. Shooting all those webs and things. Brilliant. Anybody else? Any favourite superheroes? Go on, tell me. Batman? I'm Batman. Batman, brilliant. Who else? You were going to say Batman, weren't you? That's your favourite superhero, isn't it? Well, I know that. Sometimes you come to church dressed up like Batman. And I have to say, sometimes I'm not sure it isn't Batman. We all have a favourite superhero. Don't we? Go on, another one. Go on, Obi. Who's your favourite? Black Panther. Iron Man, somebody else said. These are all great. These are all great. Here we go. Here's some of mine. My sons are grown up now. My boys are in their 20s now. But we still get dragged to see the latest Marvel film. Well, I say dragged. Um, I'm fairly willing. They're great, aren't they? They're great. These are the great superheroes, aren't they, that people refer to. And if I could ask you, what superpower would you have? What would it be? What superpower would you love to have? X-ray vision? Could you fly around the world? Would that be amazing? What about super strength? Strong muscles, able to beat anybody. I think travelling in time would be mine. 
I think going back in time, back in history to see how things were, going forward into the future to see what might happen in the future. Well, boys and girls, I'll tell you what, they're all amazing and it's great to get the films and, and see those films and enjoy them. But I tell you, every person who is a Christian who's put their trust in Jesus Christ in this room today has an even better superpower, an even greater superpower than that. They have the Spirit of God, Almighty God, at work in their hearts, that Christ may dwell in their hearts. This power connected to God, the greatest superpower that could ever be imagined. So the prayer is that from God the Father's inexhaustible riches in glory, which he is willing to share with people like us, that ongoing, sustainable power of the Spirit is at work, allowing Christ to take up residence in our hearts as we believe in him takes this three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Spirit that's described for us throughout this passage to be at work in our lives as the power source for our lives. I don't know whether you saw this story this week. Um, this is uh, Chesil Cliff House. It's in northwest Devon, Croyd area, Croyd Bay area of North Devon. Uh, it was apparently the saddest home ever on um, at Grand Designs uh, because it was bought well over a decade ago for £1.4 million as a wreck complete shell and most of it I think had to be demolished and rebuilt. It's taken over a decade to get there and it's cost the owner everything. It's cost the owner his marriage, his family and it's left him millions and millions of pounds in debt and it's on the market now. He's had to sell it or go bankrupt. It's yours for a cool 10 mil if you're interested if anybody. Um, Amazing property isn't it? But the agent is marketing it. He says it's a blank canvas because there was no money left to put a kitchen in or the bathroom. So they're making that a marketing point rather than saying there's no kitchen or bathroom. They say, no, you can, it's a blank canvas. You can put your own mark on it. You can stamp your own personality on this £10 million property. Many of you are homeowners. You know how that goes, don't you? Some of you are just about to buy your first home. It's an exciting time. But you know how it goes. You move in and you don't like the magnolia wallpaper, so you kind of do something about it. And you don't like that wall there, so you knock it down. You don't like the furnishings and what it looked like, that carpet. And gradually, over time, it becomes your home. It becomes a kind of reflection of who you are. I pray that out of his glorious riches, Paul says, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Of course, we all have that power of the Spirit given as God's gift to us. The minute we put our trust in Christ, the Spirit is given to us. But the idea here is, is that one that's go- ongoing, this, this idea of Christ dwelling, is the idea of him taking up residence in our hearts, Christ being formed in the hearts of his people, changing our lives from the inside out. Jesus comes and makes himself at home. He sits back, puts his feet up and takes residence in your heart. That's a remarkable concept when you think how gloomy and murky and dark it is in there. That the Lord Jesus Christ would come and make his mark, stamp his own personality, his own character on your heart. That's what Paul is praying for, the power to change, to become more like Christ. We need an extreme makeover, don't we? From the inside out, transformation at a heart level that works its way out, not just into Sundays, but every area of our lives not just a quick tidy up when you have guests coming you know how that works kids oh quick granny's coming quick put all your toys in the front room shut the door quick quick dust no it's not just a kind of quick scoot round because granny's coming this is well radical change radical change because as Jesus takes up residence other things need to be evicted don't they 
you need a skip on the drive and you need a good old clear out of all the junk and the rubbish that there is in there. And that's the hard bit because I don't think really, if we're living those structurally independent lives of God, remember, I don't think we really want God as owner. We're quite happy to have him as a member of staff, but we don't want the Lord Jesus Christ as owner. Happy for Jesus to come in and do a bit of light dusting when it suits us. But we're not keen on him rearranging the furniture. Maybe it's good if Jesus comes in occasionally and sweeps the patio for us, but we're not going to let him anywhere near that man drawer full of junk that we should have dealt with years ago. Or the stuff under the bed in the darkest recesses that you don't go anywhere near. Jesus is to dwell in our hearts through faith. It has to become a home and not a hotel. If Jesus is just a member of staff and your heart is just a hotel, he can check in every now and again, perhaps for an hour or so on a Sunday morning, perhaps when you go to a home group, Jesus checks in and then checks out. But the minute he does that, or the minute you, you eject him, well, other stuff checks in, doesn't it? How do you think the Lord Jesus Christ, who died to secure your heart, to win your love, to redeem you back to God, how do you think he feels when unwanted guests show up as squatters in what is rightfully his? when pride and lust and greed and envy show up in our hearts. They take a lot of shifting, don't they? It takes power to make that change in our hearts. C.S. Lewis, this is a well-known quote, one we use quite a bit, but I think it bears repeating. He wrote this, he said, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, he's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You know those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently... He starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. My prayer as I've been thinking this week and Ray and I were praying before the service this morning is that for some of you, this morning would be the start of that journey. You would yield for the very first time and invite the Lord Jesus Christ to take up residence as Saviour and Lord in your hearts. You can do that even as we sit here together this morning. But even more, I think, for those of us who have already done that, some of us who've been seeking to follow the Lord Jesus Christ for decades, we need the power of this prayer, don't we, on a daily basis. We need to be praying this for ourselves on a daily basis, praying it for one another, because it doesn't feel much as if this is my experience. I don't know about you. Is this prayer just words on a page? You know, theory and practice seem so far removed often, don't they? I acknowledge God, but I live structurally independent of him, as Paul Miller says. And Jesus becomes a nice addition now and again, not central not at the heart of everything I do. I struggle because I, I trust my own power to effect a change rather than trusting Jesus. So often we recognise we can do nothing to earn our salvation, but then after that we're sort of like, I'll take it from here if that's all right. <laughs> and we try and figure it out for ourselves. It's a bit like this. Guys, some of you have been on holiday. Some of you are about to go on holiday. I'm about to go on my holes. Um, you're going on holiday? Yeah, great. Do you like playing with a beach ball in the swimming pool or in the sea? Have you ever done that thing where you try and dive down and push the beach ball to the bottom of the sea or the bottom of the swimming pool? Have you ever tried that? You can dive down sometimes. It's really hard work because it's full of air and you push it down eventually you get it to the bottom or maybe you try and stand on it and balance and you wobble a bit but eventually you know it's no good because what's going to happen is the beach ball's going to fly up and hit you in the face. That's what it's like trying to effect a change on your own. You might manage for a day or two, an hour or two 
But eventually those sins are going to come back up to the surface, aren't they? We're plugged into the wrong power source if we're trying to do it ourselves. We're using those little AAA batteries rather than God's inexhaustible riches. The first part of the prayer then is this plea for the power to change in our lives, to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ in everything. And the second, I think, is really surprising when you realise just how in need of change you are, when you realise the, the murky depths of your own heart. And it's this. Paul encourages to pray to see how deeply we're loved. Pray to see how deeply you're loved. And that's the second part of verse 17 and onwards uh, in that passage. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, he says. You might know that power. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power again, that power you see, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What foundation are you building on? Back to that sort of building metaphor. That house had to be completely knocked down and the foundations had to be rebuilt. What foundation are you trying to build your life on? Where are you seeking to find joy and peace and fulfilment? That's where Paul goes next as he prays. And in this lovely prayer, what he's saying is that power that raised Jesus from the dead. We sang about it, didn't it? His buried body began to breathe. His still heart began to beat. That blood started to flow through his veins again in the tomb. That power that brought the Lord Jesus Christ back to life, that power that brought you to life in him for the first time is at work. Paul prays that 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 power will enable us to comprehend just how much he loves us. We're described as his children, verse 15. We're we're named as his family, every family. The whole family in heaven and earth derives its name from God the Father. We are his children. He is our Father. It's not something we earn. It's something that's gifted to us. It's founded on God's love for us, not our following of him. So we can never lose it. And we need his power to comprehend it because basically the gospel is too good to be true, isn't it? It's almost unbelievably good news. The fact that any of us believe it is all of God's power at work in our lives, isn't it? Its width, its length, its height, its depth are beyond belief. Why should a God of infinite power, of glorious inexhaustible riches and immense love, bother with someone like me? The one like me who's constantly trying to get the beach ball down to the bottom of the pool myself, constantly denying his power, constantly living an independent life of him. He didn't wait for me to get my act together. He didn't wait for me to clean out the man drawer or sweep under the bed or make the house a bit more presentable. At just the right time, he came to die for me. The Lord Jesus Christ came to rescue me. God is perfect, but you're not. You could never earn his love, but you don't have to. Jesus stepped into the breach, took all of that self-centeredness, that selfishness, that pride onto his own shoulders and sets us free. So stop looking elsewhere for fulfillment. Nothing else can even come close to the love of God to bring satisfaction and joy and fulfillment to your heart. No matter how long you search, no matter how many experiences you enjoy, no matter how many countries you visit, no matter how much money you spend, it's not going to be found elsewhere. I came across a rather wonderfully named, I almost 
hesitated to use the name. Wonderfully named medical condition. It's called the Prader-Willi syndrome. There you go. Make of that what you will. Um, it's called Prader-Willi syndrome, and it's a life-limiting congenital condition. It has some horrific effects on the body. The main one is this, is that you're unable to feel full. So you can eat, but your stomach never sends the messages to your brain that you're full to stop eating. So you can go out for a slap-up three-course, five-course, seven-course meal in the finest restaurant in the land and still fancy a kebab and a burger from the van on the way home. And actually you can eat yourself to morbid obesity. And quite literally, you can eat yourself to death. Our sinful seeking for fulfilment anywhere other than the Lord Jesus Christ is just like that, isn't it? It'll do that to us. If we live that structurally independent life of God, we'll keep looking for love, for acceptance, for, for, for a welcome, for joy, for peace. We'll keep looking for it in other places. Things that can be taken away from us anytime. Good things. Stuff that God gives us richly to enjoy, but could be kind of slipped through our fingers at any moment. Stuff which will always overpromise and underdeliver in your life. You could eat yourself to death on them, but in Jesus Christ, everything is secured at the cross. That's the only place you need to come. You can't change what was done for you in history on a hill outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And so God has so much more in store for us than we imagine, than we realize. Again, C.S. Lewis, that quote where he says, Our desires are not too strong but too weak. If we're searching for it elsewhere, actually we're settling too low. We're setting the stall out too low. We're settling for too easy. We settle for too little, for less than this kind of love. Look again at verse 19. I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He wants us to go on being filled with the love of Christ, to grow in our uh, understanding of it, our, our acceptance of it, our enjoyment of it, to mature, to be all that God would have us be. And we can only do that as we know and comprehend his immense love for us. Do you know that love? Have you experienced that love? You see, it's more than just knowledge, isn't it? It's that love which is surpassing knowledge. It's not just something to be known as a concept, a sort of tickness. Oh, yeah, I know Jesus died. I know Jesus loves me. Uh, it's not just sort of a, a purely kind of accepting of facts. It's something to be experienced. Have you experienced that love in your heart and in your life? Does it move you? Does such a great love for you melt your hard heart. That's what we have to pray for. And it can only come as God's power is at work in our lives anyway. It's all of him. We have too little appreciation, don't we, of the love of Christ. I think especially if, like me, you've been a Christian for decades. You hear this stuff preached. You hear this stuff talked about. You pray this stuff. You even stand on the platform and speak about it. And you actually soften it just bounces off. Heard it before. I've been serving Jesus for years. Does he realize the sacrifices I've made? I'm entitled. No, you're not. No, you're not. See, it's not what you know. It's who you know. It's a lovely expression, isn't it? We use it a lot in life, don't we? It's not what you know. It's who you know. So often, church can seem as if it's just a list of things to learn, um, of, of concepts that we have to grasp and understand, instructions to take on board. Of course, we want to learn. Of course, we want to understand more. But this is emotional language, isn't it? This is language of love, and it demands an emotional response from our hearts, doesn't it? As God is at work, as Christ takes up residence, and we realize the immense cost to him of doing that. How deep the Father's love for us. 
How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make this wretch his treasure. At its heart then is a relationship. It's not what you know, it's who you know. But this awesome God who made you, who wants you back, he wants the best for you. He longs for a deeper, more intimate relationship with you than you ever could imagine with him. He wants your happiness, your joy, your fulfillment even more than you do. And he sent his son to make it possible. Our prayer must be that we should know that more and more fully. It turns out St. Augustine's famous quote is right, isn't it? Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. I said I was excited by this series. I do really hope and pray that you're encouraged to pray bigger prayers as a result of this series through August. As we work through this summer series together, maybe this week you could start here in Ephesians 3 and then stay there. There's not a lot of point going anywhere else sometimes. That, that prayer, you could pray it daily, hourly. Just pray it over and over. Try and savour some of those, the, the riches that there are in there. Some of the things we've talked about this morning. Maybe next time you meet as your home group. You know, many of us meet in small groups through the course of the week. And at some point in that evening, I'm a home group leader. I do it most weeks. I'll go around and say, how can we be praying for you this week? And we genuinely mean it. What's going on in your life? How's work going? How's the family? Where do you need us to pray for you? Why don't you knock your socks off and say, actually, would you pray for me that out of his glorious riches, I might be strengthened with power through his spirit in my inner being so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith? Why don't you make that what you pray for? for one another in your small groups this week. Because as Paul goes on in this doxology, this, this, praise of, uh, this word of praise at the end from verses 20 to the end of the chapter, God hears us. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. You see, we have to ask. We come and we ask. And as we ask, God hears us. And he does more than we could ever imagine. He begins to answer our prayers in ways that we cannot begin to comprehend. So much more. This God of all power, this inexhaustible riches that he wants you to share in. It's a great prayer. Great prayer to be praying not just for yourself, but for your brothers and sisters here in the church as well. For our brothers and sisters across the town, in, in churches across this town, and across our nation and around the world, that those who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would know this power at work in their lives. That's the prayer is plural throughout, you see that? He may strengthen you, your hearts, it's all plural. It's all plural. We're praying for one another. Praying that he will be working us and in his church. It's impossible, isn't it, to pray these sorts of things and then just selfishly keep them there and not pray them for others as well. And it's a great prayer as we close to be praying because the best is yet to come. There's some wonderful, wonderful riches that are ours now. But the best is yet to come. Because praying like this, it lifts our eyes beyond being a permanently exhausted pigeon. It lifts our eyes to Almighty God. And it lifts our eyes from now to the future. The future that's secured for us when we will spend all of eternity exploring those riches. God isn't done with you yet. Whatever you pray, God can do more. But it's only possible by the work of the Spirit in our lives. So let's, brothers and sisters, let's get plugged into this power source. Let's stop messing around with things that are less than that and, and, and will never ultimately fulfill. Let's get plugged into this power source in our lives, this eternal, loving source of power. Let's deepen and enrich our, our connection to Almighty God, our prayer life, our relationship with him for our good and for his eternal glory.
Well, our final song this morning tells us